This is Jonathan Armstrong from uh, Cordry over here in the UK, and I'm with my colleague Eric Sinrod in California for your weekly Tech Law 10 podcast this week. And I guess following the occasional musical theme, I can't tell you which musical it is, I'm afraid, Eric, but you've been thinking it's a small, small world, have you, this week? <laughs> I have, and I'd be remiss to say uh, I am with Dwayne Morris, uh, LLP, and I'm based here in San Francisco. And, yes, in Disneyland and Disney World, there's, there's a ride called The Small World, and the song goes, it's a small world after all, and it continues. And uh, I won't uh, punish our audience with the poor quality of my singing, but, you know, I think Disney had it right uh, sort of in a prescient way in advance that it really is a small world, and um, and there are consequences to that. Uh, we're all, you know, so much more interconnected by the Internet uh, and other technologies that it's really not realistic for countries and uh, people to be in any way, shape, or form isolationist. And let me sort of try to illustrate that uh, to you, Jonathan. Um, here, here's how we can see that the world's become smaller. Did you realize that 3,000 years ago, there were 600,000 independent world communities? 600,000. Wow. How many do you think there are now? Less than 200. That just mm. shows how everything is becoming much more uh, together and homogenous in some ways. Also, for example, when a disease breaks out like Ebola in Africa, you know, with our methods of mass transportation, such a disease can show up and infect people in distant other places. So we can't ignore that any longer. You know, here in the United States, uh, we drive automobiles imported from Europe and Asia. Our famous fast food McDonald's serves 60 million customers daily in 120 different countries. Coca-Cola, um, our famous drink, is served one billion times daily in essentially every country on Earth. And Starbucks, one of our relatively new companies, already is present in 50 countries. And Jonathan, you'll be pleased to know that you can order your non-fat decaf latte at the Great Wall of China. So again, this shows how we're all uh, coming together in certain ways. Um, on, on the sort of dark side of things, Various countries currently are sitting on approximately two, sorry, 20,000 nuclear weapons. That's the equivalent of 200,000 Hiroshima bombs, which is something very difficult to ignore. And in the 20th century alone, over 100 million people were killed uh, in wars. Uh, mm -hmm. So plainly countries continue to fight with each other around the world and they are not keeping to themselves. So given all the inevitable interaction between countries and, frankly, companies, um, disputes, unfortunately, are inevitable. Um, and it's important to ha have ways to deal with those disputes. Um, and so you know, it's a small world, and, and the Disney ride is very pleasant and pleasing. As you go around on the little boat, you navigate, and you see all the little countries, and you see you know, people from the different cultures uh, singing and dancing, and it's all very pleasant. Um, and it's true we are now, you know, rubbing elbows constantly, but unfortunately, you know, that does at times create friction. And so then the question is, how do we deal with such friction? And, and hopefully, you know, given 
the nuclear weapons we're sitting on. Uh, you know, we don't um, come to use of force. And, and in fact, the UN Charter uh, is very clear that use of force should be you know, a matter of last resort. There should be negotiation. Um, oftentimes, treaties will build in within themselves you know, methods for dispute resolution. Uh, there mm -hmm. is potential recourse to the International Court of Justice, but that uh, is really only voluntary between states. So there are many other international types of disputes that do not go there. So then oftentimes, uh, there has to be recourse to courts within given countries. Um, so you know, long story short, Jonathan, we are very interconnected. Uh, there can be uh, disagreements, and we have to find more and effective ways to resolve those uh, disagreements so we do not have to resort to uh, use of weaponry. So all that being said, I turn it back to you, Jonathan, to see your thoughts on this subject. I think it's a fascinating topic, Eric. Um, I think closer to home, I've done a couple of projects recently which which show the sort of the contraction of the world, really. Um, I think when we first started looking at e-commerce, then obviously quite a lot of sites and quite a lot of offerings were country-specific. And then we had these... Um, a series of French uh, judgments, for example, in the very early days of the internet, which were basically saying, you know, are these sites meant to target France or not? Because there are circumstances uh, if they are. And that led, I think, to a number of countries looking at uh, issues around um, jurisdiction and whether sites were aiming at people from a particular country or not. And so from an e-commerce point of view, I guess it's been a question for maybe the last 15 years or so to get very precise who you're dealing with at any one time because the world's so small. But one of the things that I've observed recently, and this particular project at least anecdotally backs it out, is um, we're also traveling much more as well. So for example, in the retail environment, we do a lot of work for fashion businesses. And it's very difficult now for them to predict who is in the store at any one time. So things like the law on return of goods, things like uh, the credit card arrangements, and things like privacy policy opt-ins, you know, in-store cards to sign up for promotions, they've all of a sudden almost become international issues rather than domestic issues. So I think you're right that the contraction of the world affects the big and the little things in our in our daily lives, but also is very significant, I think, for people like retailers who obviously want their stores to be open to the world. In the past, that was maybe a small part of their business in terms of their bricks and mortar stores. But now that's an increasingly large part of the business as well as we get uh, tourists from Asia and the Middle East, for example, travel much more than they used to. And I guess with the rise in travel, particularly from Asian countries, it's a problem that's going to exacerbate, isn't it, Eric? Yes, you're right. And you know the issue of jurisdiction is an interesting one. I mean, I recall the time when uh, somebody posted some Nazi paraphernalia on a French mm. Yahoo website, and that's not uh, permissible there. And there was a lawsuit that proceeded in France 
but there was also a lawsuit that took place in the United States. The one in yeah. France was adverse to Yahoo, if I remember correctly, and the one in the U.S. was favorable to Yahoo. Uh, so you know, how do we deal with that? And I do quite a bit of speaking these days on international law and technology law, of course, and people in the audience have this notion that there's this codified set of international laws that just are there in a book uh, to be accessed, mm -hmm. and there's some sort of you know, overarching international judicial body, and it, it really isn't the case. And it's staggering when you look at how few cases, for example, the International Court of Justice, which is an arm of the UN, has uh, even handled since its creation after World War II. You know, so it's, uh, you know, you're, you're making a, good, a very good point, Jonathan, that uh, almost everything goes international in some respects, and yet uh, how we deal with some of these international uh, disagreements is not very well mapped out yet. No, and, and purely domestic in, uh, in effect, really. Ultimately, uh, you know, most often disagreements have to be handled uh, within the domestic court of a given country, and then sometimes we have, of course, disagreements as to, to where uh, the dispute should be handled domestically. So I think we've probably reached our uh, Tech Law 10 uh, limit, uh, our 10 as it were. Uh, you know, thank you for joining us and continuing to give us ideas for topics. Uh, I think this is uh, podcast number it's either 128 or 129. We're going strong. So this is Eric Sinrod at Dwayne Morris LLP uh, in San Francisco. My email address is ejsinrod at DwayneMorris.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, the usual social media outlets. Jonathan, you know what to do. Uh, Jonathan Armstrong at Cordry, C-O-R-D-E-R-Y. And uh, so my email address is jonathan.armstrong at cordrycompliance.com. Since it's a small virtual world as, uh, as well as a small physical world, you can contact us by phone. Um, you can, we still do phone, don't we, Eric? Uh, by email, <laughs> on social media. And, uh, and we do look forward to hearing from you with your suggestions for topics. Equally, if you can solve the problems that we've discussed today and internationalize a law to cope with our modern age, in one or two paragraphs or less, then we'd love to hear that solution from you as well. Pending that, we'll look forward to speaking to you next time, and thanks again for listening.